This podcast episode is brought to you by OWC, Whisper Room, Spectra 1964, PreSonus Studio One, and Jay-Z Microphones. So get ready to rock. When you make the engineer cry, it's like, I'm like sitting there just in awe of what just happened in that moment. And that's what we hope to do, right? As engineers and producers and musicians, and a record is a record of time. It's, you know, we're trying to capture moments. That's what I hope to do. And I think I do well. I mean, you know, at least I hope is capture a moment. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. If you feel like the fast pace of computer tech has made your studio Mac obsolete, then think again. OWC is your personal studio tech for memory and speed upgrades, DIY installs, and use Macs perfect for recording and mixing. Why ditch your existing computer when you can take your studio far into the future with the Mac you've already got? Learn how to supercharge your studio and find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC.com so that you can focus on making great music. If you're sick of bothering the neighbors when you're trying to record your music or ruining your recordings with outside noises, but you're not ready to spend a fortune on permanent studio construction yet, then consider getting a Whisper Room ISO booth for your studio. Whisper Room offers an instant solution for a comfortable, quiet, ventilated, portable ISO booth with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booth when you mention Recording Studio Rockstars at whisperroom.com. Hey, Rockstars, it's your host, Lid Sean. Welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Grant Walden, a music producer, audio engineer, multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, studio owner, and host of Tape Noise Podcasts in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Grant has worked with Grammy-winning studio musicians, audio engineers, and recording artists, including Denny Lane of the Moody Blues and Wings, Jimmy Hall of Wet Willie and Jeff Beck Band, Christine Ullman of the Saturday Night Live Band, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, keys player, and songwriter Spooner Oldham, the legendary Muscle Shoals Horns and Rhythm Section, the Swampers, Hanson, and a host of groundbreaking performing artists. He has also been mentored by notable engineers and producers, including Dave Pensado, Jim Gaines, Toby Wright, Craig Alvin, and Jerry Masters. And his latest projects include records by Jimbo Mathis of the Squirrel Nut Zippers, Invisible Teardrops, Sailor, and Eddie Martin, to name a few. Grant also owns Hear Tell Studios and publishing based in Studio C at Cypress Moon in Sheffield, Alabama, which is basically you know, for an outsider, it's, it's Muscle Shoals, right? Because you guys are Yes, right. Muscle Shoals Sound is in Sheffield. Indeed. So, uh, formerly the home of Muscle Shoals Sound 2, where legendary artists like Bob Dylan, Bob Seger, and Julian Lennon have all recorded. So, um, I met Grant, I think, a few years ago at Summer Nam, and then we just yeah. stayed connected, and, and finally here we are getting a chance to talk. Please welcome Grant Walden to Recording Studio Rockstars. Grant, are you ready to rock, dude? I'm always ready to rock. Dude, glad to have you here, man. Thank I, you. I mean, that's what you guys do down there. You rock. Yeah. You, you, you groove. 
Yeah. There's a thing, like people talk about the Muscle Shoals sound. What, what would you say that's all about? There is no sound. There is no sound. No, I, I, it's total BS. And I say that with all due respect. And, and, and because if you listen to all of the discography that has come through all of the years, it, it's so eclectic. Right, there's it's so much variation. One, it's not one thing. And it's the same people playing on all of it. So, I mean, you go through Kodachrome to James Brown, uh, uh, too funky in here. I mean, those are two completely opposite things. And then you got Shenandoah country. I myself have worked on jazz and hip-hop and metal. Would, would you maybe yeah. say that the Muscle Shoals sound tends to be real musicians playing together? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I've, I've worked with some, some EDM electronic kind of things. And, um, I tend to be one of the guys who intentionally so, um, tries to work on a variety of, you know, a very diverse catalog, I guess you would say. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling right, for right. the phrase. That's but, what makes sense to us, you know. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the versatility, I think, is the sound. I don't think it's like one thing, you know. I mean, it's historically around the world for those that know what Muscle Shoals is and was. Give us, give us a it briefly, just explain like um, geographically, where's Muscle Shoals? Okay, that's a great question, and I'm really thrilled you asked that because I've been spending a lot of time in Nashville here lately, and the conversation is because the shoal is like the rocks, you know, over the river, and um, it people tend to think we're further away from Nashville than we are. Like, oh, you're close to Gulf Shores. The weather must be nice. It's like, it's like two, two and a half hours away from Nashville. Maybe That's 90 close. miles. I'm not sure exactly. So we're... That's closer than Louisville. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot. And it's an enjoyable drive. I, I It's very cathartic. I love driving back and forth from Nashville to Muscle Shoals. And, and uh, Nashville's kind of like a second home, too. What's the major highway that we take to get down there? Uh, I yeah. usually go um, 43, and then where, wherever a Spring Hill is, you go through Columbia mm -hmm. and um, just hit 65 and go. But several people go through Pulaski and or through Athens and hit the interstate and go straight up. But 65, 43 and 65 for the most part. Nice. So it's, it's not a lot of turns. It's a nice drive. But yeah, we're very close. I mean, it's just a few. It took, I drove up this morning and I think about two hours and 15 minutes, maybe. What do you do if you're going to, if you want to fly in to, to come be there? Well, right do? now, unfortunately, there were two flights a day from Boutique Air that would fly to, to and from Nashville. And that right now is not the case. Um, there is a Muscle Shoals Airport, but flights aren't going to Nashville. So you would have to go to the closest airport would be Huntsville, Alabama. Okay, cool. Which is maybe an hour and a half drive. So it's it's not too bad, but really you might as well just drive up here. Right. So I guess part of the excitement is that it's secluded in a way. In a way. Get there and yeah. stay there and you know, don't yeah. be distracted. It's kind of a destination spot of sorts and 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 it's real chill, you know, people that you know, like John Paul White's a perfect example of formerly of the Civil Wars, him and Ben Tanner that play keys for the uh the Alabama Shakes, they are part owners with another guy, Will Trapp, on single lot records in town. And they all kind of have somewhat of a normal life, even though they're multi-Grammy winning 
And th- these guys. guys live down there now, or they're, they're yeah. sort of yeah, that's their home. Nice. I mean, saw Ben yesterday at Publix, you know. So it's just <laughs> he's he's actually a guest on my podcast as well. Sweet guy. Yeah, I mean, we just saw each other looking at ground turkey, you know. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> looking at ground turkey. So it. it's like, yeah, I mean, the cool what kind thing, of chili are you making? I don't know what kind of chili are you making. I don't know. <laughs> Good. Um, but, but yeah, we're we're real close to we're about the same distance to Memphis, and we're a little closer to Birmingham, Alabama, and Huntsville's a music hub of sorts in its own way, a little more alive. So it's it's nice to be. It's a central location to several really great places, and it's a great place itself. So yeah, well that's cool, man. All right, well so give us a really brief introduction to who you are, and you know how did you get started in the stuff, you know, music and, and end up in, you know, Muscle Shoals of all places. Is that where you're from? Well, I'm originally from around Decatur, Alabama, which is about 45 minutes outside of Muscle Shoals. But I grew up, you know, Muscle Shoals has basically been home. Yeah, I mean, I went to University of North Alabama in Florence, Alabama, which is Muscle Shoals, Florence, Tuscumbia, Sheffield. They're all kind of one city that hasn't, four towns that hadn't figured out really yet that they're just kind of one big city. Um, and they all have their own historical reasons for having their pride in their town that they do. You know, uh, in Tuscumbia, for instance, uh, Helen Keller was born there. Really? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, in Florence, there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house there. And wow. Sam Phillips was from of Sun Studios was from Florence. and. His son, Jerry Phillips, owns Big River Broadcasting, one of the big radio stations and there. And yeah, so I mean, each place has its own history, right? It's yeah. just Muscle Shoals is the name people know. Right, so, of course, yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm, I remember knowing the name of Muscle Shoals for a long time, but having no clue where it actually was. Yeah, it's weird to me that people, I've run into so many people lately in Nashville that are like, oh man, that must, how long did it take you to get there? About five, six hours? No. And it dawned on me that most people in Nashville are not from Nashville. So how would they know? Yeah. Well, Nashville's a little bit like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, that's what you just said. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking yeah. you were saying that about Muscle Shoals. Well, no, no. Muscle Shoals, most people from there are <laughs> yeah. from there. It's growing though. It's had a resurgence since the documentary. And if you hadn't checked out the documentary, it, it's awesome. It's done very well. Oh yeah. It's great. But it's, um, what's the name of the documentary for well, them? Well, Muscle it? Shoals. Yeah. But it's it doesn't really tell a whole lot because I mean you can only tell so much in a short amount of time, and but there's so much more to the story. Um, and I found this out through doing my podcast that I opened a Pandora's box. When you find out one thing, it leads to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just it keeps opening itself, which is exciting. But there's no way in my lifetime I can cover it all. But to get back to your question, yeah, I can relate, man. It's uh yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I love your podcast. I think Thanks, I think Appreciate I listened that. to it before we met. And I'm not sure if we met at Nam or if we met at I think Welcome we to met 1979 Studio or Oh, maybe it, maybe I don't maybe know. previously we had, but I remember meeting you and um who who was with you at the door to Summer Nam as we were going in one day in 2017. I don't even like remember. That. There's I, I remember meeting you guys. It's a blur. Yeah. Um I, I apologize. I should remember that, but I don't. Um but you asked me, you know, kind of a brief who I am and what I do and kind of what led me to where I am. Um, a short answer to that is mentors, man. I have been treated more kindly than I deserve by legends. Somehow, I'm an anomaly that makes no sense, I realize. I'm about to be 34, and 
Well, I'm sure when the podcast episode comes out, I'll already be 34. You'll be like 44. By yeah, I'll be time. 44. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but uh, no, it's like I've been in Muscle Shoals being able to learn from people in the room with legends like David Hood, who played bass on I'll Take You There. And, yeah. you know, I mean, the, those guys, one of the things that I've learned is how to work in the room with musicians and how to listen and how to read the room and pay attention because it can be a little daunting and, and overwhelming when you realize who you're in the room with. And it, it, it kind of has become in a lot of ways rather normal. If right. That makes any sense. Yeah. And then every once in a while it'll hit me like, Oh yeah, that's who's over there. Yeah. Sometimes I find it's, it's uh, better to be ignorant. Yeah. You know, in, just, in a way, yeah, I can uh, see that. Don't be ignorant of what's needed to no. have a great recording session, but just be ignorant of just how famous the people are that you're working with because otherwise it's a distraction, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like the first time, well, the only time I met Joe Bonamassa. I was working in a music store in downtown Decatur, Alabama, and I didn't know who he was. I sold him guitar strings, and he left, and people were like, yo, Joe Bonamassa. I was like, Joe Bonahoo? They're like, get on YouTube now. And I'm like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, well, so tell us more about Joe. So uh, yeah, he was just a dude. People don't know him yet. Yeah, and and I mean, it was he was just a nice guy who likes. Well, I mean, to go, tell us what he's known for because oh, great, somebody's good, listening oh, and doesn't know anything. Oh, about my it. bad. Yeah, I don't know how you don't know, but yeah, guitar. Look him up. <laughs> that's it. That's all we get from you. Can, you. can you name drop a few bands or anything just for us? Uh, uh, so. <sighs> Joe Bonamassa, yeah, like, yeah, you know, Black Country Communion and all that. He's, right, he's okay. one of the best guitar players ever. So, yeah, just look him up if you can figure out how to spell his last name. But I didn't do any work with him. I just, it was an encounter. But it was like, it was good that I didn't know who he was because I would have fanboyed. Right, right. And, yeah, I mean, it's like I met a few months ago Willie Ruff, who, if you don't know who he is, that's another good Google search. He just came down to Cypress Moon which was Muscle Shell Sound previously before that, the second location, which is where my studio, Hiretel Studios, is. I'm, my studio, my control room is in an old songwriter room, and my tracking room used to be the Capitol Records satellite office in Muscle Shoals. Well, Willie Ruff was there touring the place, and he apparently, he had something to do with the Tuskegee Airmen and he played with Duke Ellington and Count Basie and Louis Armstrong and was a founder of the Duke Ellington School at Yale, I think. I didn't know who he was. I just knew he looked familiar and the name was familiar. And after we parted ways, I kind of fanboyed to myself, you know, a little. But had I known who he was, I mean, it's like, good grief, this yeah. guy's a legend. And I had no clue who I had met. That's awesome, man. But, but yeah, short of who I am, I play guitar. I'm a songwriter. I sing a little bit. I play several instruments, piano, drums, bass. Did you grow so, up playing in bands or, or what? Yeah, was, I yeah. mean, I think we all did. You know, I still do. I play session guitar some and, you know, just whatever's needed. If the bass player doesn't show up to a session, guess who plays bass? Right. You know, that's kind of a lot of the things that's I like. It's kind of fun because bass is pretty fun to play. Yeah, it is. Um I took some bass lessons from Bob Ray, who played with Ray Charles and uh, uh, Al Green and Tanya Tucker and a bunch of people. He's got a long discography. He's a sweet guy. I've recorded him several times, and I just took some bass for a few months from him and I gained a lot of respect for him. 
And I took bass, not really to get good at bass, but he was helping me with the Nashville number system, reading charts. Because mm-hmm. I can read it. I know theory very well because my music degree, but I'm slow. At right. it. I, I, I know it. I get it. But it's still one of those things. You want the critical details from your microphone to get through to your recording, and the Spectra 1964-101 amplifier provides just that. With unequaled headroom, low noise, and a linear output, irrespective of transient audio peaks. Used by Tom Dowd, Muscle Shoals, Stack Studios, and The Record Plant on records by ZZ Top, Aerosmith, Bruce Springsteen, and John Lennon, Spectra 1964 brings that same incredible sound to your studio with the new STX-600 mic pre with built-in comp limiter. Start making classic records again at spectra1964.com. If you want a digital audio workstation that will give life to your music from sketching a new idea to composing, editing, mixing, and mastering a finished record, then you want Studio One from Presonus. Studio One is easy to use with intuitive drag-and-drop simplicity, making it great for beginners, yet flexible and powerful for experienced producers. Whether creating beats, recording a band, or composing a blockbuster film soundtrack, you will find everything you need to create your masterpiece. Download your free version of Studio One Prime and get started now at PreSonus, wherever sound takes you. Two questions for you. We'll start with, um, what was something you remember learning about bass when you were taking bass lessons? What's, the, what what well, surprised you about bass? Well, the one thing is you can't play it like a guitar player because there was things I would instinctively do as a guitarist that he was like, no, 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 you're not playing guitar. Play bass. And, you know, shortening your notes and making them clear and mm-hmm. and distinct and not not having, you know, if you play guitar, you kind of want it. Yeah, you want a note to ring sometimes going into the other note. You don't necessarily want to do that with a bass. Right. But, yeah, that and it's the, in my opinion, next to whatever the melody is, be it vocal or whatever the lead instrument is, to me, bass is the next most important thing because it's melodic, yet it's low end, mm-hmm. and it's rhythmic, so it has all of those things. And it's kind of one of those things, like a lot of times in a mix, you may not notice it until you push mute, and you're like, what happens? A novice, right. someone who knows nothing about music other than how to turn the radio on in their car, be like, something's off, and I don't know why. Right. It sounds weird. But... Yeah, I've been playing guitar my whole life since I was like six or seven years old and just went to uh, study commercial music at University of North Alabama and took a studio class because I wanted to learn more about that thing. And I was intending to be a session guitar player because that's, in my mind, what the pros do, right? Those are the best. And I've done a good bit of that, but I got behind the glass and realized, wow, I'm good at this mm-hmm. and I like it. Yeah. And I can be creative in a different way. And it was like a light bulb went off of like, oh, this makes sense why like big name artists might open a studio or start a record label or a venture that's a different side of the creative process of what they do. It yeah. made sense. Yeah, all there's, there's yeah. more to it than what we what first meets the eye. Yeah. You know? What first meets the eye, what first meets the ear is, you know, whoever's singing on top yeah. of it. What first meets the eye is whoever's sort of like in the center of the music video or, or up right. on the mic on stage. 
And there's so much more that goes into it, you know. And it, again, for me, it was discovering that too and seeing yeah. the studio side. I'm like, oh, I kind of like hooking things up, you know. Yeah, exactly. And one of my greatest joys as a producer um, is if I have a band or an artist and, you know, we're cutting this song and at the end of the day or at the end of the process, whatever that is, I received a couple comments a few times. Um, I'm not going to try and quote them, but it's something to the effect of like, wow, I didn't know I could do that or I didn't know this song could be this. And, right. and, yeah, and, nice. and that, I love that. I totally get off on that. That is one of my greatest joys is pulling something out of an artist or a band that they don't know was there. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And to me, the short of who I am is I'm a musician and a songwriter and a, a studio guy. I, I, I do live sound too, you know, because you got to pay bills and, you know, you take what work you can get. And I enjoy that too because live informs the studio and studio informs the live. Yeah. I learn from each and, you know, I get great sounds because I'm used to being in the studio, but also you've got to anticipate the moment. Like, man, that guy playing acoustic guitar is about to turn toward the monitor and we're going to feed back. So you learn to anticipate and you have to watch, you have to pay attention. And, uh, you know what I remember learning about, uh, studio informing the, um, live thing in the wrong way is I learned, uh, the hard way you can put compression on the vocal mic, but don't have the compression on the vocal mic feed the monitor also. Ah, that's a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting crazy feedback. Oh yeah. So you get a feedback loop going on that and that's yeah. weird. It's yeah, like I've let, made that mistake. Let the monitor just be a raw mic and mic pre going into the monitor so that there's a lot of dynamic range yeah. there. If you but, can, sometimes but you can you put can't. some compression on the mains if you want to. Yeah, on that main mix. Sometimes, depending on the system, sometimes it's just what it is. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It, so. And now I'm somebody who knows more than me about lives. Probably like, what are you talking about? Let's, I put compression. I put everything on everything. But hey, let me let me ask you another. Yeah. This is my second question based on what you were saying a moment ago. The Nashville number system. Yeah. Share with us a couple of thoughts about, you know, what it is and what you remember learning about it where you're like, oh, this is cool. Well, first of all, go go take bass lessons on that because to me, and or take piano lessons or something, I mean, but really bass because it to me personally, I can only speak for myself, it was easier to wrap my head around it because uh, Bob, who I took lessons from, is really about positions and economical playing where you're not moving any more than you have to. Right, right. And, and what is it? What is the Nashville number system? Well, it is basically a way that you can change keys. Like, say, if you're playing in the key of C, C is one, you know, four is F. And if someone needs to, like the singer needs to move up or down a half step or so, well, then you just change the number or well, you don't change the number. You just one is now the key, right. B flat instead of C, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, so you don't have to rewrite everything. And, and that's where F the, flat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's like, Sorry. you don't e, have to e. change your positioning or, or your positioning matters with the, where the notes are and things, because then you just move up or down a fret. Right. Right. You're not having to really think as much. It, it simplified a lot of it for me. Well, it also helped me begin to understand the relationships between chords. Exactly. And, and 
songwriting. Yes. Whereas originally, you know, you just got these chord names and, and songs are in different keys and stuff. And they yeah. all just sat, seemed a little magical to me. Like, hey, man, that sounds so cool. How does that yeah. work? You know, but you but did then, learn the relationship between things. Yeah. Yeah. You begin to hear that it doesn't matter what, you know, what the starting chord is or whatever. You begin to understand a four or five and a six minor and a right, two minor right, right. and a five and a back to a one and all that. Um, any other things about that? chart and Nashville number system as far as like visually and, you know, just as a either a musician or a producer in the studio, how it's helped you out? Well, um, I, I, I've, you know, being a songwriter, there's a few friends of mine that spend a lot of time in Nashville because uh, a lot of guys and, and girls in Muscle Shoals, it, it's very much a, a songwriter town as well. Um there's a lot of times we'll write a song and we'll chart it out. And so when it times come to do the demo, your song's already charted and you're not having to spend time, which is money in the studio. And like, what key is this in? What's the chart? You know, well, here's yeah. the chart. We just make a photocopy. Yeah. But it, 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 it tends to simplify and speed things up. And now I am the first to admit, I have to think about it. Yeah, um, me too. Like, I, I can't just, I'm not one of these guys. I don't know. This is like some sort of otherworldly thing for me that these guys can sit down. I mean, sight reading music is the same way. I mean, I can, but I'm pecking it out, you know. But it's it's just like people listening to a song one time and they're charting it out. Yeah. And I'm like, how? And I guess it's just time doing it a lot. Because, but it does simplify things a lot of times because, you know, if you write a chord chart out, you know, A, C, D, you know, well, if you need to change keys, you know, you're kind of... You don't left, need to you, write a new chart. You don't have to write a whole new chart. And, oh, you mean if you write the letters out? Yeah, if you write the right? letters, you're, you're, you're having to use that time. And if it just makes sense. Right. It, well, one of the things that I, I felt that I really appreciated is it does help you remember the structure of the song. It helps you think about what's really going on with the chords instead right. of, you know, the, the, the mysterious way that all these things are tying together mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but very importantly is it just helps everybody know what the damn structure of the song is. So, like, exactly, I've started doing it with every session I can. If I'm producing it or if I'm playing on it, I'll write a chart out. Helps me keep track of how long the song is, where I am. Yeah. And I and I started doing it even with my band where we used to just go in and we'd be like, oh, this is weird. And then you do it twice in the second time around and you do, and you'd right. like try and hold all this together in your head. And then you have no idea. It's like having a shared calendar. If you have a shared calendar, yeah. everybody's looking oh, yeah. at the same thing and everybody knows they're supposed to be there at one o'clock versus just wondering if everybody's going to show up. Well, a cool thing, uh, you mentioned how does that help as an engineer or producer? Well, a lyric sheet and a chord sheet, number chart, and a lyric sheet helps you have something to follow along with. And especially if I'm assisting on a session, that's great because I'm following along or if I'm engineering, whatever, in that role, it, it helps you keep up with what's going on. And when you're working with session musicians, especially in demos where you're trying to crank out three or four yeah. songs in three hours or more, where... It's like, okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, I need to punch in on the 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 four chord in verse two. In on this, you know, 
something like that, you may not really understand musically, which I feel like, I don't know how anyone would be an engineer and not really understand music, but. Yeah, but I think you understand it in your, in your yeah. instinct and in your heart. You can tell when something changes. But is this nothing as nerve wracking as like, yeah. you don't have a chart and they want that four and you're exactly. like, and you're listening, you're like, I, is this the four? I think this is four. And back when it was on tape. And you had to like, you know, do a wrong move. You destroyed yeah. what was recorded. Well, not only that, but a lot of times I'll have a session where the bass player and the keyboard player may want to go down together and you're just saving time. Hey, I need to, I need to, uh, I'm just going to go down with them. You know, so like you, you end up um, recording multiple people redoing their part and, you know, the drums are good. The guitar's good. We got a scratch vocal. We've got the click track going, but but bass and keys need to be redone. So, I mean, that helps a lot too, especially if the bass is like, yeah, I just got two fixes and then the keyboard player wants to do the whole thing. So it just helps speed things along. You simply know what you're doing as an engineer. You're in tune to the song. It's, you know, it's like dropping markers and knowing where the top of the second chorus is. I mean, it's embarrassing, and I've done this. It's embarrassing. Like, hey, can you punch me in at the top of the second chorus? And you're spending about a minute or so trying to look at the waveform and hope that you can guess where the top of the second chorus yeah. is. And they're like, no, 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 that's that's the bridge. Yeah. And it's like, you, you seem like an idiot. It's embarrassing. All right, so a quick question for you. Let's say you forgot to drop the markers and you're glancing at the screen because I see interns grappling with this all the time when they're new to this. Um, what are some visual cues for you about where that chorus or that bridge might be? Well, usually the wave gets bigger at the chorus. I mean, which, usually, which wave? Well, it depends on the song, but that's kind of paying attention to the song too and being in the moment and that kind of goes back to just paying attention to yeah. what's up and having your head in it and not in your phone or not distracted. Well, but, here, let but me the, offer the, a couple of thoughts on yeah, that too. I'm I, not I really do. 100% sure what you're asking. Well, maybe it's a loaded question, but I would look at two things. I'd look at the vocal track because the vocal track, the shapes are going to be different because yeah, of the that's vocal true. phrasing. that's true, yeah. And I would look at the, um, if the, if somebody was singing a harmony on that, well, for mm -hmm. sure, I would look mm -hmm. for those where those harmony parts came. And that's probably the choruses. Well, you may yeah. have additional instruments in the chorus that you don't have. True, but in, those in might be overdubs, too. Oh, yeah. If this was just the band tracking. But one thing that does seem to consistently change from section to section is what the overheads look like on the drums because mm -hmm. that's where the drummer just went from yeah, the never thought about to the that. ride where you see a crash and you just see different different shapes. You begin yeah, to get true. used to recognizing what those look like on the screen. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice. I never really thought about it like that. Yeah, I just All did my it. questions are loaded. I just like to jump in <laughs> no, and, and save the no, day. No, that's a know? really good question. Um, I, I guess I just did it and didn't think about it, but it's like... Well, that's why we're here. We get to talk about all yeah, this stuff and just you know, cool. geek out on it. But yeah, from my, from my experience, man, it's embarrassing when someone asks you, hey, can I punch in? And they've got five minutes left before they have to leave because they've got to be at another session at another yeah. studio down the street. And they're, you know. And you're you're eating up half that time just trying yeah, to figure out where you're supposed to be. Exactly. When you could just very easily in a couple seconds be like, okay, let's go. Um, are you recording into Pro Tools usually? Yeah. Okay, so I don't do this enough to remember off the top of my head whether you can yet in Pro Tools. But I know on a tape machine, for example, you could have 
you know, one instrument in record from the top of the tape. And then on another track, you could drop it into record just for chorus one. And then on another track, you could punch it in at the set part of the second chorus and let it roll out while the other one continues to record. I don't remember if Pro Tools will let us um, drop tracks in and out of record in one pass yet across multiple tracks. I've never done that. I mean, you can punch in and that out would be on cool. some tracks, but it'd be cool if you could, you know. I suppose you could. Yeah, like, well, that might I don't be an know. HD thing. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. All right, Rockstars, if you yeah, are listening and you already know the answer, drop a comment in. Too. Yeah, please, because that would be really cool. Are you sick of microphones that make your music sound harsh and brittle? The new Amethyst mic by Jay-Z Microphones brings you a rich, warm tone with perfect detail using the Golden Capsule technology. Resulting from 30 years of microphone design, the Amethyst is hand-built using carefully selected parts with Class A discrete circuitry, extremely low self-noise, and an advanced shock mount to make sure your recording sound awesome. This is my voice on the Amethyst right now. Use the limited-time coupon ROCKSTARS to get 50% off the Amethyst mic at jzmike.com. Well, I'd like to ask guests to share an inspirational quote on the podcast. You got anything well, that you I want love, to share? I love quotes. D- like, all right, I, I, I do. I'm the guy that I'll post it, note them around everywhere. Um, so um, Dave Pensato is a dear friend and a mentor of mine. Nice. And not trying to name drop, but for engineers, that, that they know who that guy is. If you don't look him up, Pensado's place. He has a great show. Yeah, YouTube. Um, yeah, and uh, I met him at Blackbird Studios in Berry Hill, Nashville. Uh, attended a week long workshop uh, with him and John McBride, and it was like six or seven of us there, and we just hit it off. He's a good dude, um, but he's he's he shared some things. Like one that has stuck with me is be fearless. And that can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Especially when you're like he, the first time we did a, uh, we brought a flash drive to pl- let him play a mix we had done and to get a critique. And I almost lied and said I didn't have mine when I was there. And I handed it to him and immediately I knew everything that was wrong with the mix. It was like right. it was just an intuitive, it was a weird experience. But I was shaking, just like, oh, God, I wish I didn't have to hand this to him. But I did. And he, he, he asked me after the song played, he said, and, and this was a pretty heavy-hitting thing. It was Christine Ullman from Saturday Night Live Band was singing on it. I think Spooner Oldham, Oldham that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was playing Keys. It was a song he wrote, you know, with, I think, Dan Penn. But, I mean, it's like, it was a heavy hitter thing. And I think maybe David Hood was playing bass. It was some heavy hitters on this. And you had had the chance to record it yourself? Uh, I recorded, I think, just the vocals maybe mm-hmm. and did some mixing on it. But cool. it, But the thing is, um, I don't think my mix made the final approved record. I don't know it may have. But anyway, the short of the story was that he said, man, you've got some good stuff there, but you're hiding it. And he uh, he's like, well, how honest do you want me to be with you? And I was like, well, I'm here. It's not going to do me any good for you to pander me and tell me how awesome I am when I'm not. Um, but he's like, look, he said, go home and redo this and be fearless. He said, go for it. He said, you're hiding it. You, this is a safe mix. And it was because my immediate thought when I sat in the chair was, don't screw this up. 
the documentary and Muscle Shoals had just come out maybe a year or two before this. And I was like, I'm going to be the guy that everybody knows that totally made something totally amazing sound horrible. And, and it just, I was like, don't do that. Don't be that guy. So I sat down with not the perspective of how can I bring the, the, what can I do to make this better or how can I make this the best it can possibly be and serve the song? I was just don't mess up. Right, right. So I had no confidence safe, right? whatsoever. Um, but yeah, he also, same guy, Dave told me, he's like, put some tape over the meters, quit quit mixing with your eyes, listen. Yeah. And of course, well, it's kind of hard to do with Pro Tools, but you can turn the screen off. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, oh man, I think it was um, two buttons, maybe Control Command or something like that, and Escape, I think it was, gives does a screen shut off. Oh, cool. But there's I'd be afraid also, I'd turn the computer off or something um, accidentally. Uh, if you have a trackpad, you can do a triple finger swipe to the side and it and it switches screens on oh, you really? so you could have a totally different screen i just sort of have like a screen saver oh cool thing. well that's a good thing to know and that that one works pretty good that's, just that one's a, really quick because then you can swipe back and press stop or yeah whatever you need i just to. have my computer to the side and i have a tv screen which has a remote so i just turn it off yeah and yeah turn it back on well you can close your eyes but there's something also about um i don't know there's something about looking forward between the speakers uh -huh. and just not seeing the music. Yeah, absolutely. Listening. That can yeah, be really Yeah, because you don't, you, you don't see music. I mean, you might like on sheet music, but you, you listen. Yeah. You experience it. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So uh, what else did you learn from Dave? Dude, I got, he, he's, he's awesome. I mean, just to be confident that I actually was good at what I did and to believe in myself. Yeah. Um, well, I like that advice about yeah. being fearless. You know, it, it the analogy I'm thinking of is, you know, you're you're thinking about all these great musicians that played on it. Yeah. If somebody else had played another guitar part or some part on there that was playing it safe the whole time, mm -hmm. what do you think our reaction would be listening to the music? We'd be like, we'd be drawn towards the people who made these great, bold moves. And if somebody just kind of it's played, ignored. you'd be like, I didn't even hear that dude was on there, you know? Well, he told me to kind of expound on that is... He's like, dude, you need to go. It kind of goes to Ross Hogarth. Uh, he and I had a conversation a while back. And he told me, he said, you got to, um, who I met through Dave, he said, you need to carve out your own lane. And in that, that means something different to everybody. And the thing is, no one's going to hire you to sound close to someone else. That's something that they might ask you to play that way on a session. Yeah. But what they really want is you doing your thing, you know? Yeah, or else they would have just hired someone else. Yeah. Uh, but, or, I mean, they, you know, they might— Unless they, it's not in the budget. I don't mean to, to doubt what somebody's asking for in the studio, because usually people do have some that's you know, trustable though. vision. That, that's, that's different. It's like, hey, can you give me a little bit of a, you know, a Steve Jordan groove on the drum? They're not, they're not asking you to do— something that's not you it, it you know it's it's one of those it's like, it's like picking a color we just want it, yeah. you to try blue yeah it's like well, musicians we're a weird group of people we we come up with creative ways because we're creative we come up with creative ways to phrase what we're looking for and you know it may be a color it may be i want this to sound purple and it's like what, what does that mean well who I cares just i do don't so. know and it's <laughs> Just look for purple. But yeah, I mean, the moment somebody starts asking you to do something that's your thing, though, it's kind of like, 
okay, it's almost a point of arrival, you know, but it's, yeah, yeah, that's different though than when someone's like, no one's going to hire me, for instance, to try and copy Chris Lord Algae. I mean, there's things I can learn from those guys. Obviously, they're legendary. They're amazing at what they do, but either either one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm not going to get the gig or, well, one of three things, or I'm going to do a less than stellar job and they're going to be disappointed because it's not that person. They should have just hired that person. Or the it's not in the budget in the first place. And I'm I'm budget CLA in that way. Which is, budget CLA. <laughs> but it's like, it's, uh, you know, do you really want to be that? Yeah. I mean. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about the studio that you got now, and you know what your world looks like. So you are in a, a very cool place. I've seen it. Cypress Moon Studios mm-hmm. is this amazing, huge facility. Oh, it's that big. Is it's like, thirty something with, thousand. With tons of history feet. to it. Give us before we take a break. Give us a history of like what that's all about, and and what your studio is there. Describe what kind of tools you got set up and everything. Well, um, the thing with my studio again, my control room is in an old songwriter office. And we're, I don't know, I've been trying to figure out lots of songs were written there. And the tracking room was the Capitol Records satellite office. So it's kind of cool to be able to tell people that. But really, they're two big offices. I and mean, I've got sound treatment. I've got a MCI 618, 600 series console from 1984. I just got from uh, Charles Holloman at East Avalon Studios in Muscle Shoals that was on your podcast yeah, as well. What up, Charles? Yeah, what's up? Love that guy. He's great. He's a great dude. He came to town two or three years ago, and we've been working together a lot since. We've, I've done a lot of things at his studio. It's a great place. Uh, he just got an API, and I got his MCI. Uh, so that's... I'll, do you need a console? No. I like it. <laughs> it. It. There's a lot of things that have helped me with workflow. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, getting drum sounds in five minutes, it's great. Yeah. But... Uh, so I've got that. Um, it's 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 a small space, but the the cool thing about where I'm at is it's very collaborative. It's very artsy. There's like down the hall. There's a guy who does video. Rick uh, Martin Armour is a hit songwriter. Wrote Moon Over Georgia and What I Love About Sunday. He just had a song cut by Reba McIntyre. Uh, we do a lot of songwriting. Uh, the guys that have Studio B, they're called Portside Sound, real good friends, Jamie and Danley. Uh, they have the 36 channel, 600 series. So I've got the baby brother to theirs. So, and in Studio A, it's not hooked up yet, but it's Jimmy Johnson's Swamper Muscle Shell Sounds, old Sony MCI. I can't remember the series. It's like a yeah. three thousand. But anyway, yeah, there's, it, as I recall, there's a couple of very big. Is there is there two big studio yes. spaces? There? Yes, their uh, studio A I think is like ten feet deeper in the tracking room, the main floor. But the booths are there's three booths that are exactly the yeah, same. Yeah, these are like full design. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, studios it's incredible. With huge soffit monitors and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, thing, right? the uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in A, and it's it's. It's it's in reconstruction right now, but Portside Sound, those guys is what they call themselves that have Studio B leased out. And we, we're all the time like, hey, man, you got a tambourine I can borrow, you got a mic I can borrow. Hey, can I use your snare drum? Uh, I'll record things in there. I'll do some mixes. Or, you know, we, we work together. Uh, so I work in a lot of the studios in the town. 
And like Charles has got great pianos. Of course, there's Fame Studios and Muscle Shell Sound, the original 3614 Jackson Highway. Yeah. Did you spend time at those? At either I've of those? been at Fame a good bit off and on over the years. My wife, Haley, actually interned there back in 2007 or six or seven, something like that. Um, I used to just hang out. It was a lot different in, before the documentary came out. You could, yeah. It was a little easier to just hang. Right. One of the uh, cool things about those studios, too, is they're yeah. functioning studios and they're functioning museums giving tours all yeah, the time. Yeah, absolutely. I've not really been in the original Muscle Shell Sound a whole lot. Um, I was there during a Bishop Gunn session with Mark Neal. I was not working. I was just, the band had asked me to come by. Um, Wishbone Studios, it's Billy Lawson's place. I interned there in 2008. And I didn't realize how blessed I was during an internship to actually be, hey, can you help us on this demo? You know, I wasn't just answering the phone and making coffee. I was actually involved in things and didn't realize how cool that was and how lucky I was at the time. But there's a lot of studios. There's Nuthouse, Jimmy Nuts, got a great studio. Um, I'm leaving someone out and I'm trying not to. That's all right. But it's, it's, it's a lot more than people realize. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, and it's it's great that there's such a vibrant scene. Yeah, that, it's that like Nashville together and recording. It's kind of together. Nashville light. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a community. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. It's sort it's a of, it's a small. It's almost family. like an OG Nashville. You know. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. In a way, yeah. It's it's a very collaborative. You know, good people. Um, there's a lot of mentoring going on with younger people. Okay, so um, give us again a brief introduction to what a session might look like in your studio. So you've got one room and you're recording in there, or you got some isolation too for drums while you're in the control room. How, how does that work in your setup? Well, I have 16 channels right now So with my console. So if I'm recording a full band, which I do fairly often, I'm obviously not going to throw mics everywhere. Um, I have to be a lot more selective especially with drums, you know, uh, typically, you know, if I'm tracking somewhere else, it's got more channels. Yeah. Let's go so crazy. Drums are always the culprit. 16 is a lot of tracks for, in, you know, for music to come together and a song together. It's the drums yeah. that eat them up, you know? Yeah, it really is. And I love miking and recording drums. A lot of people are scared of it. They're afraid of phase issues and things like that. And that is a thing. It's a, but to me, if you listen and pay attention to what you're doing, it, it's, you know, does it sound good? Yes or no. Um, tune your drums. That 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 makes a huge difference. And but like, I'll typically use an inside kick. Uh, I usually don't mic the bottom of the snare. Tune the snare right. You usually don't need to. Sometimes I will, especially if I've got a larger format console or more more preamps. You're yeah. saying you usually don't need to include a bottom snare mic? Is usually I won't. I, I never do in my studio um, unless someone, all we are doing is drums. Right. And then, yes, I'll do whatever a client needs. But beyond that, I'm like, maybe we should track somewhere else. But it, I don't typically mic a hi-hat in my spot. I usually will go with a mono overhead. Maybe a mono. What's room? the sound of the room that the drums are in? Is it pretty tight? And it's dead, pretty. Or is it's, it's pretty splashy? tight. It's it's not real real dead, uh, but it's it's a pretty tight small room. But it sound it sounds really good. Um, it works for me. And like I said, there's a lot of great spaces in town. If I need a bigger 
more live space. Most of the rooms in Muscle Shoals are big rooms that are kind of dead sounding. Mm -hmm. Um, But, so you're not really getting a little big live sound. Do you use a room mic or do you usually just blow that off? uh, Yes and no. It depends on the session. I mean, a lot of times I like a room mic just to crush it with some compression just so I can hear everybody talk back kind of situation. But, you know, I'll, I'll usually use a mono overhead. And this all kind of stems back to before I got my additional room, the tracking room, I just had everything in one room. So one thing I have had to learn to get really good at is getting bands to play with dynamics. Because if everybody's playing with dynamics, I don't care about mic bleed as much. Because most things are closely mic'd anyway. And I found that in spaces like that, if I did away with the stereo overheads and the outside kick and the hi-hat mic, usually... I'll, most mixes, I'll mute the hi-hat anyway because a lot of, unless you're recording really professional drummers, which there are a lot of that I've been lucky to work with, you're going to mute it anyway, or I find myself doing I find myself having less trouble the less ambient mics I have. Right, when, yeah. In spaces like yeah, that. Dude. Now, if I have a, my room's more tuned now and different situation and everybody's not all in the same room, so it's different, but... A lot of times I do a lot I do a lot of overdubs, a lot of guitar, a lot of keys and vocals. And uh I'll just we do a lot of not wearing headphones in the control room with uh I'll run a DI through the wall and my guitar amps in my other room and they'll just sit there and rock out a solo. Yeah, I like and, and that I mean way it's a lot. it's great because they're they're not I don't know, it's like they perform better. Cool. Well, let's take a break for a minute. We'll come back in for the jam session, the second half of the show. Rockstars, I want to remind you, of course, we've got links to stuff we're talking about in the show notes. Take you down and check out some of Muscle Shoals. Check out um, Tell Studios and also a YouTube playlist where you can go listen to Grant's work and uh, hear some of his sounds. Do you really want the neighbors banging on the ceiling when you're trying to rehearse or record your music? Do outside noises and computer fans get into your studio mic and ruin your recordings? You could book a pro studio to record every time, but that would add up quickly, and doing permanent construction to soundproof your studio could easily cost up to $100,000. And you can't take that with you when you eventually move the studio. Don't you wish there was an easy solution right now? Whisper Room ISO Booths offers a simple way to install a comfortable, quiet, ventilated ISO booth in your studio with easy line of sight for recording vocals or even drums in a variety of sizes. For 30 years, Whisper Room has been solving studio isolation needs with ISO booths that are shippable, portable, and can be assembled in an afternoon. Now you can get pro vocal recordings right in your home studio. Practice whenever you want and start using real guitar amps again. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booth when you mention Recording Studio Rockstars at whisperroom.com.
If you're using a Mac in your recording studio and you're tired of feeling like the studio setup you worked so hard to create is becoming obsolete too quickly, then Otherworld Computing is the solution for you. OWC can help keep your existing Mac and studio current and relevant so that you can make great music. Whether you need to upgrade your RAM, install an SSD, add more connectivity, or simply find a great used Mac, you can get the most mileage out of your studio with OWC. Offering a vast library of DIY install videos, 24-7 friendly support, and free shipping in the U.S. on most items over $49, there's no need to get frustrated when you can achieve the speed to create and the capacity to dream at OWC.com. All right, so let me jump in by giving you a chance to tell us a little bit more about your podcast, too. So, um, you know, you've got Here Tell Studios, and then you've also got your podcast, Tape Noise. And uh, we mentioned it earlier, but tell us just a little bit more about that. What's what's one of the challenges of kind of launching a podcast, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a long list. Um, first of all, it's a labor of love. I mean, at this point, we're not making any money on it. We don't have any sponsors and it's just a thing that has value. We, I, I strongly feel like there's so much of the story that has not been told and may never be. So I'm trying to cover as much of it as I can. And your goal is to basically archive and capture yeah, uh, the, uh, the story of Muscle Shoals and the well, musicians and the music and stuff. Yeah, a few uh, friends. I mean, like, for instance, uh, Jimmy Johnson. I mentioned him. He was the first guy to record Leonard Skinner, I think, you know, and, and I mean, just first got to record Freebird, rather, um, and Muscle Shell Sound, guitar player, he's playing on all that Aretha Franklin stuff, and I, I mean, it just, I, I interviewed him, and I think, don't quote me on this, because I may be wrong, but I think I did his last interview, and he, um, luckily, he was very clear-headed, and um, there was a lot of pauses and a lot of, you know, it, it was an editing nightmare because it just, it was a lot of content to sift through and a lot of space between communicating. Yeah, yeah, I've, but I've it, interviewed people with yeah, a lot of space. When he, when he passed away a few months ago, it, it became evident I was doing something bigger than myself. And prior to that, I mean, I knew that, but... It was a little more self-serving in that, and admittedly, it kind of is. I mean, you know, getting to pick someone's brain, like, hey, what did you do here? You know, that kind of thing. But also, my whole angle was more like what, you know, to let these guys who are interviewed a lot not not try to repeat the same interview that's been done over and over and over right. and over. And... You know, Muscle Shoals is known for the Rolling Stones recording Brown Sugar and, right. you know, Wild Horses, things like that. And Aretha Franklin, you know, never loved a man. But not a lot of people know that Julian Lennon wrote Valette, or I may be mispronouncing that, and, you know, recorded there. And uh, there's a long list of people. I'm not even going to try and go down it. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. But also, a lot of those guys... They traveled to New York and L.A. and Nashville and different places. It's the same people, but they're in a different location. Right. It's no different than it is now. Um, they were just taking tape reels with them, and we're taking hard drives. Yeah, and Muscle There's, Shoals was a cool place to go record. Yeah, you, know, you heard about is. it, and you're like— And, I mean, it's the thing is 
it may have been the same guys, like, you know, Jim Gaines, who's another friend and mentor of mine. He, he's, he recorded Havana Moon, you know, but they were, I think, in San Francisco, but it's some of the same Muscle Shoals guys playing on it. And he, I mean, it's, it's very, I forget, sorry, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. I forget what, oh, the podcast. It, it's just kind of, my, my angle was to, what do you want to talk about? What do you never get asked that you want to talk about? And so David Hood was a perfect example of, we talked about work, him working with Millie Jackson and being on the road with traffic. and uh, Yeah, he mentioned like trying to get one of his old stolen yes, bases back and, and stuff. Recently, someone hooked him up with a replica of it, and it's great. But, you know, things like that. And I, I didn't know until talking with Jimmy Johnson that, and it's been confirmed with four or five other people who would have known that there almost was no Muscle Shoals sound. When they were looking, the rhythm section was leaving Fame Studios to form Muscle Shoals sound. They were offered land in Huntsville, Alabama. And so it was almost, talk about the narrative being different. I mean, there's so much stuff like that that you just, it feels um, like, wow, the value, this needs to be known. Right, and, so it's, it's really like a um, almost an altruist yes um, mission for you to try and capture the the stories of yeah, and I'm a podcast from. junkie too. I love podcasts. Like I I listen to music, but the way I listen to music is a little different. Like when I go in the studio every day, or most days, I'll put on something and listen before I start working. And I'm you know I'm getting my coffee, and I'll go, I'll have music playing, and maybe I'll go drink some coffee and sit on the front porch and look at the river, you know, and yeah. Cause of, you guys are in a cool spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's people talk about, you know, they, they, I guess jokingly talk about, you know, is the, it's, it's something in the water is the muscle shoal sound or something. And so the, uh, maybe, and that was what not. I did when I went down to Cypress moon studios yeah, and we did a tour, I actually took my shoes off, which yeah. are often off. Anyway. They're still off. They're off right now. <laughs> and I went down to the river and I dipped my toes in the river. Yeah. Cause I was like, weirdly yeah, enough, I'm wearing on. shoes. People, laugh at me all the time in the studio because I very seldom wear shoes in the studio. I don't know why it's a thing. Um, But yeah, a friend of mine from middle school, Dan Williams, he he approached me a few years ago. He's like, hey, would you be interested in starting a podcast? I said, absolutely. Would love to, but I have no idea how. And he said, I don't either. Let's figure it out. And he said he wanted to do, he's he's a writer and a professor at uh, University of North Alabama and Northwest Shoals Community College. And very, very, very smart guy. Great guy. One of my dearest friends. Love him to death. But he hit me up. He was like, hey, what do you think about doing an audio drama? And uh, sorry, I got a little distracted. You got this old back scratch <laughs> yeah, thing here. I just spotted my back scratcher. <laughs> hanging awesome. off I was like, I might as well, I'm going to scratch my back while I'm listening. <laughs> you're, you're trying to do that quietly, and I'm over here on the microphone mentioning it. So my bad. But anyway, no, he, he hit right. me up. He said, um, what do you think about doing an audio drama? And I'm like, well, I don't really know what that is. So he sent me some links, uh, you know, Welcome to Night Vale or Tannis, different, you know. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. Uh, I have no idea how to do it. So are you talking interest in script writing, voice acting? What are we doing? So I also do that. Polybius is the audio drama that we're doing now. We're working on some new things that hopefully will, and we ranked fifth in Norway. That may be last place in Norway. I don't know, but we've we've gotten some rankings. And it nice. was a thing. We did a pilot and abandoned it for like four or five months. And he hit me up one day. He's like, dude, 
we really need to do this thing. Reddit is losing its mind. When are you guys coming out with episode one? And I'm never on Reddit. So he he is. And I was like, wow, okay, let's, sure, why not? We accidentally kind of did a cool thing. So there's that side of it, the audio drama side, which is essentially a podcast format for um, uh, old radio play. But right, it, but, right. And it's cool. So it kind of scratches the acting itch, which I didn't know I would really be that interested in. Uh, but the interview side of things, tape noise is the umbrella. And I've been doing this Muscle Shell Storyteller series, but I wanted to call it have an umbrella so that I could interview people not necessarily just in Muscle Shoals. I just like the fact that now that I live in the South, we get to say, we get to pronounce words like umbrella as umbrella. I love it, man. Right? That, you know, I, came, I didn't I, notice I that. I the, did totally uh, pronounce it that way, didn't That's I? quite all right, man. Yeah. I, you know, I come from Boston and everything. We would have said, do you have an umbrella? You know? It's a parasol. But you come down and you're like, do you have an umbrella? This is great. Yeah. Um, very cool, man. So, yeah, it's a so you've done pleasure. a number of interviews already. And yeah, you're, I've you're got some on my hard drive that haven't been up yet. I try to keep a, a, a backlog because a month may go by and I'm busy mm-hmm. and can't schedule interviews. Um, what, are, what are some other challenges? Like, have you, uh, you know, you're working with a co-host on this. Um, do you see podcasts? recording and engineering as an opportunity for people out there with studios and with audio skills too? Yeah. um, Yes and no. I I think it's a very viable thing, but a lot of people, they don't really want to pay a lot to have you edit their podcast. It might be 20 bucks or something. And I think a lot of that is it's kind of the good enough mentality. One thing I had to learn is to be <laughs> more prepared for interviews and to it's just kind of a figure it out as you go. Like, oh, that I could have done that better. Uh, I may do this. I don't really like how that microphone sounded. It was kind of tinny. Let me, let me try this. If I get off axis too much, that creates a problem and not as much a problem for me, but guests you know, people that aren't used to speaking in a microphone, which includes engineers uh, for the, a large percentage because we're recording other people, not ourselves. Yeah, but you're doing times. a great job, man. You're standing right oh, on Oh, thanks. Mic. Yeah, I'm right here. Get real cro- close proximity. There but, it is. Uh, yeah, put on my radio voice. It's NPR. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of little simple things. It's not really big things like having pencils <laughs> and paper. That's a very important thing in the studio is you know, somebody not having to look for a sheet of paper or a pencil. It's always there. I have them on every mic stand. Yeah, that was a topic we were talking about discussing too, so we'll transition into that as well, which is just that idea of um, basically accommodating musicians and and clients in the studio and what the importance of that is. Because, I mean, at the heart of this, whether we're trying to record a band, whether we're trying to, you know, write and produce a song, whether we're trying to record a podcast for somebody, you know, we are talking about working and interacting with other people in a studio environment. So what, you know, keep, keep going on that idea, just like the importance of making it, I don't even know what the catch-all phrase would be for. It's just like, uh, well, client services. Yeah. I I would say anticipating needs and uh, kind of see a need, fill a need, but to kind of quickly wrap up what I was saying about the podcast it, it's just kind of figure it out as it goes. One of the best things you can do is be consistent. 
I've learned that, and everybody has a different format for whatever reason. Some audiences care about time length of your interviews. Some don't. Uh, audio dramas don't necessarily cross over to interview formats. People who listen to tr- uh, true crime don't necessarily listen to interview stuff. Right, right. You know what it feels like when inspiration hits and you want to capture your great song idea, but then the studio gets in the way and it's just no fun anymore. Wouldn't it feel awesome if you could simplify the process of producing your music from inspiration to final masterpiece? PreSona Studio One is a powerful digital audio workstation that helps you compose your music with a complete collection of virtual instruments for keyboards and drums, MIDI tools for hip-hop, EDM, and film, a flexible sketch pad with chord charts and key recognition for songwriting and arranging, and classic effects pedals and amp simulators for guitar and bass. With 37 high-quality effects plugins, integrated Melodyne, and drag-and-drop flexibility, you can easily edit and polish your mixes. And Studio One is the only DAW with a built-in mastering studio so that you can take your record from writing to radio-ready all in one place. Download your free version of Studio One Prime and get started now at PreSona wherever sound takes you. If you want to capture every nuance of a great performance in your studio, then you're going to need to start with a microphone that is crafted with great care and attention to detail. Jay-Z Mics and Riga Latvia designs amazing sounding microphones that are handcrafted with jeweler's precision to bring you incredible detail in your recordings. At the heart of Jay-Z Microphones is the unique Golden Drop capsule design, which uses a lighter, faster diaphragm that delivers great clarity and fidelity while avoiding distracting colorations and distortions. This is my voice right now on the new Amethyst microphone. With Class A discrete amplifier circuitry, extremely low self-noise, and advanced built-in shock mount technology to bring an expensive sound to your studio for an affordable price. Jay-Z offers a five-year warranty, free shipping to the U.S., and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, for a limited time, you can use the coupon code ROCKSTARS to get 50% off the Amethyst microphone at jayzmic.com. Rockstars, if you're ever listening to this podcast, which is pretty long, it's not the longest out there, but it's long. Sometimes we're like a couple hours. Um, if you don't already know about this ninja tip and time is crucial for you, just just put it at well, like 1.25 speed or 1.5 yeah. speed. And it's amazing how quickly you you get used to hearing the voices speak a little faster. If I slow down and I'm at that slow, uh, exactly. fast speed on playback, it'll sound super normal. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, it's it's one of those deals where respecting someone's you know time, which I'm good all day long today, whatever. So however long you need me here, I'm cool. But uh, some people, you know, they're they're in between things. So the, the the time you could schedule them, maybe they've got. If you're on the other side of the country, I did an interview with Ross Hogarth, who's a great engineer, worked with Van Halen and long list of people, but uh, Keb Moe and uh, we were on Skype. So Skype is not the best audio, but it's good. Right, and I, right. and I, I loathe saying this, but it's good enough. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot like, of, all my interviews are over Skype the, if they're not here. The one thing I had to learn, and I still struggle with this, and I really could probably use an assistant to help with this, but it's it's one of those things that I admire how you don't do much editing, if any, with yours, because 
I mean, some things you, you need to edit, you know, if there's a lot of time or there's a gap or, a, you know, a pause or whatever. Yeah, we, we might have like two markers so yeah. far, you know, in this but, whole interview. But doing it the way you do, I'm learning a lot from that because, and I do markers when I do interviews too, because I'll say something inevitably pretty stupid and trip over my words. And I'm like, yeah, I need to edit that out. Um, But as an engineer, it's really, really hard to remind myself that this is audio. It's not music. And it over compressing it is actually a need in this format. Because if someone's brushing their teeth, they're getting a shower, they're driving, and there's a lot of road noise, and it's really rainy, or they're mowing grass, and they're listening, you know, I mean, whatever, they need to be able to hear it over the noise in their life, or they've got it on their phone, laying on their dresser drawer in their yeah, bedroom. You're and not allowed in the to other bury, room. The, bury the singer in this one. No, you can't. And people will forgive a little bit of distortion or a little less than perfect audio quality over actually being able to hear what people are saying. Right, yeah. I always make in, that in my favor prior, that. priority is make it yeah. so that and it's I had, clear. Yeah, I've had to learn that. And also, you don't want a, a bunch of um, yeah, uh, mm, you know, that kind of thing. That That gets annoying, but it's really being practicing more at being articulate. Yeah. Because that saves a lot of time in in edit mode because you can you can edit if you've got a two hour interview, you're gonna be editing for a long time and I'm not making money at doing that. There's a lot of things that I as an audio engineer would be like, no, I would absolutely not do that for a record. Like that that's just wrong. Right, right. Like don't I mean I will mangle something in compression. I'm not afraid to do that, but there's a time it's purposeful, but this is purposeful. Like people need to be able to passively listen to your, your podcast. Um, as I said earlier, I'm a podcast junkie. I, I love audiobooks too. Um, I, I actually set a reading challenge for myself last year to do a book a week and hit 63. And I love I, that I, it's called the reading challenge. Well, it really was <laughs> for me. And I've heard all these, you know, thought leaders and millionaires, they're talking about like, read a book a week. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will never do that. And I used to be real self-conscious but about they, but reading. But you're talking slowly. about listening to yeah, an listening. audiobook. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of windshield time. I mean, you know, 10, yeah, 15 indeed. minutes here and there, or you're cleaning up the studio. Yeah. I find myself listening to podcasts and audiobooks and, things like that. And you learn a lot. You get to kind of note, you know, I already feel like I know you better than, you know, we, we've not really had as many That's a little creepy, isn't it, man? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool too, because I mean, it, it's, it's a weird thing, but like a lot of the things, rules, quote unquote, that we would follow as far as audio professionals, some of that kind of goes out of the window and you have to think more, uh, more in terms of broadcast, like, can you, there's a reason radio is so compressed. It's like, right. you need to be able, especially with guests that are not used to being on a microphone and they get nervous and they talk off axis and too far away from it. And then you have to slam it with compression and you get all this room sound. One of the best plugins, I know this is kind of uh, 
I can't remember is a D verb, not not Pro Tools D verb, but mm-hmm. like they should have yeah, called SPL it. SPL makes a yes, D verb. That is and one of the best plugins others. ever, and it's like what twenty Back or thirty. Sonus, I think makes one. I don't know Isotope. Yeah, but that that unverb whatever it is, I think it's the SPL one from Brainworks or mm-hmm. uh, no Plugin mm-hmm. Alliance. Yeah, that's the one that I've got. It's like thirty bucks, dude. That has saved me. If you got a really crappy sounding room, it's great. It fixes so much because you can pull out. I had a flutter echo kind of thing. Like you slap your hands and right before I did a lot of sound treatment in my drum room, which is probably 80% gone. And I didn't want it all gone. I wanted a little liveness. I didn't want it completely dead. Dude, that plugin made me be able to use room mics. And like it was a viable thing. Room mics on a podcast? No, not on a podcast, but like in recording drums. But yeah, right, that right. would be interesting. But like, if someone gets too far from the mic like this, you know, it's, you can, well, I'll you, tell you, you, you can put that on there and it helps so much. So, so for me, a big fun thing about wanting to get into podcasting was, again, like you, I was a podcast junkie. I was listening all the time. I'd go on long car trips, you know, drive 12 hours up to the Northeast and, mm-hmm. and I'm like excited. I'm not, I'm not oh, yeah. bummed that I'm going oh, yeah. on a long trip. I'm like, Oh, I get to just listen exactly. to as much stuff as I want. And, and it's uh, an excuse for me to go to the hopefully gym. hopefully the phone won't ring. Yeah. And podcasts so, and stuff are an, an excuse for me to go to the gym. Right. Exactly. It, it really is. It's like, I can get on a treadmill and I'm like, I'm in my own little world and I'm listening to something, but I don't listen to as much music because I'm making music all the time. So, so it's something different. So, so, so wanting to do a podcast what was exciting to me about it, it was having this sense as an audio engineer, somebody who's into music, it was like, well, I, I can figure out the audio. I can figure out how to make the audio sound good. Right. I, like I felt like I was up to the challenge. Right. And to me, uh, again, I'm not, I've been doing my own podcast, so I haven't really done much podcasting for hire for anybody else. But to me that if where there's opportunity with that, it's exciting because you're like, mm-hmm. I can do music, I can do the studio thing, and then I can take advantage. You know, it's like an additional income stream potentially for the audio skills that I got. So it's I also encourage great all networking. of us to look at that if you want. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's great networking too because I've gotten to know people better. And it's kind of like songwriting. You have to, sometimes you're a little vulnerable in songwriting. You you get to know people better and then this person introduces you to this person. And yeah, it's it's a really cool thing, but necessarily not audio things I would do for a record or not necessarily or a song are not things I would necessarily do right. for audio. It is different. It, it is, is different. different and it's hard to not try to achieve the most optimal audio quality ever and to let that go for the same thing kind of applies to demos because you can be mixing a demo for a day when really you should have spent 30 minutes mixing it and sounding it, making it sound really good because it could be the record. You never know. But one, you're probably not getting paid as much. And two, the songwriter might miss the opportunity, the window of opportunity to pitch the song because you're trying to make it sound like a hit record. Right. Too much, spending too much time on it. So same thing with a podcast. But like, and so... Yeah, a podcast I, I, that has been released is more valuable than a podcast that will yeah. sound amazing one day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just it's it's been a learning curve for me. But yeah. you know, anticipating client needs was what we were going to leading into. Man, having pencils, paper, having water, 
uh, cough drops, um, you know, some sort of snacks and, you know, being, you know, coffee, good coffee. When I came in here this morning, you made some espresso and it's just, it's, it's a welcoming thing. Lighting is a really big deal for me because yeah, tell us about lighting. I hate fluorescence. I probably talk about it on every episode of my podcast. I loathe them. They give me anxiety and headaches and I hate them. Yeah. They don't seem very welcome. Now they make noise. I guess, I guess some of the you know, we do have fluorescent light bulbs that are screw-in bulb fixtures now that feel different than the traditional It's, still, it's a different thing, but even yeah. those still. Um, I just, my wife just bought me this light off of Amazon, and I don't, I wish I could remember what it's called, but I, I brought it in the studio yesterday, and I have no windows. So, a dream of mine is eventually to have a studio with a window. Uh, I do have a river I can go walk out and look at, so, but... It, it, it's supposed, this light is supposed to quote unquote mimic daylight. And I plugged it up yesterday. Oh, to, you mean like it's like it gets brighter during the day? No, 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 no. It no. It's like you, you have uh, different, like three or four different dim and bright settings, but it's like the light itself is supposed to mimic whatever the feeling of having daylight. And uh, you know, maybe it's hocus pocus. Maybe it's uh, placebo effect. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, I, I plugged it up yesterday and put it behind my console. Um, my console faces a wall with sound treatment and bass traps and stuff. And it really did, I think, make a difference in how I felt. I didn't feel drained at the end of the day. And I was pretty going pretty far down a rabbit hole with a with a song for artist Eddie Martin. I've been working on a record since May with, and uh, we're in the final stages on it. And it's kind of the intro was very Peter Gabriel-ish. Mm -hmm. So it's very ethereal, very, you got to dive into it and figure out, he had these ideas. I wasn't 100% sure how to achieve, so I had to figure it out as I went. And... So it's a lot of head down in the studio in a square room, you know, with no windows, no outside light. And that's a thing that vibe to me is everything. And I'm like, if this helps me, it may help clients. And, you know, people feeling comfortable for a long time. I had a, all of my stuff in just one room, which served its purpose for that time. But I didn't have a love seat or a couch or anything. There was no real comfortable chairs. It was all work, no chill. And the minute I moved in a love seat, the work got better. I started getting more clients. Um, I, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is a Six Figure Home Studio. Yeah, with Chris Graham yeah. and Brian Hood. Yeah, I love their podcast. Big shout out to them. Uh, if you don't know about it, check it out. It's cool. Um, but one of the things, I think it was Chris Graham said, maybe a trip to Ikea is more valuable than a trip to Guitar Center. Yeah, interesting. And I like that. it's like, if you've got a limited small space, making it as cool of a hang as you possibly can is more valuable than you having some sort of vintage microphone or a console. My console's cool. It, it, I got it. One, I got a really good deal on it. And it's inspiring. I look forward to going to, to, to work in the studio every day. And it's an Instagram, Facebook, social media share. It looks cool. 
Um, I can play some of the same mixes I did two or three years ago, but because it's got a console sitting there, people automatically assume it sounds better. It's like this, <laughs> this aesthetic thing. But I mean, and, and it does help give confidence to the client. It's like you put a, you might have a better sound on this mic tech, whatever model this is. Um, PM9. Yeah, I'm curious about this. I'm going to check some of these out. I know I really like their These kit. are the same dynamic mics I've used for all my podcasts. Oh, well, it sounds great. I Unless get, I'm doing a Skype one. Then I need different. to get some then because I really like them. I like their kick mic too. It's really cool. Nice. During the height of record making, Tom Dowd, Muscle Shoals, Stack Studios, Ardent Studios, and the New York City Record Plant all turned to one company to build their consoles. That company is now Spectra 1964, carried on today through Bill Cheney and Jim Romney. The extremely stable, high-speed circuit design of the 101 amplifier provides unequaled headroom, low noise, and linear output irrespective of transient audio peaks, giving you cleaner, punchier, dynamic recordings. Spectra 1964 brings you the sound of ZZ Top, Aerosmith, Bruce Springsteen, King Crimson, John Lennon, and so many more. Created by the missile engineers who are central in rolling out the systems that protected the free world for over half a century, Spectra 1964 literally brings rocket science to your studio. With the STX600 mic pre with built-in comp limiter, full-frequency passive BBDI, and C610 dedicated comp limiter, start making records that last a lifetime at spectra1964.com. You also brought up an artist you've been working with, Eddie Martin. Yeah, that and that was incredible. one of the cool tracks in your in your uh, YouTube playlist. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that project. Um, great piano sound on there. Some great vocal tones. Okay. Talk let a little me, bit about that yeah. project and working with Eddie. Okay. Let me give a disclaimer on that. The only thing on that I recorded was the vocal. Okay, cool, cool. I did not record the rest of that. The uh, vocal sounds great. It was like Kelvin Wooten's playing keys, and uh, I think either Kelvin or Daniel Beard, which will be mastering this record we're working on now, uh, mixed. I'm not 100% sure, but anyway, I think Daniel did. He's a great guy, too, a great engineer. But anyway, all that to say this, that is a, I sent you that because that vocal, I am probably more proud of that than any vocal I've ever cut. Yeah. And the reason was, if you listen to the lyrics to that song, it just hits you right in the gut. And literally, the way this went, talking, this goes back to vibe, I turned all of the lights off, including my my screen and everything. And just, we do the vocals in my control room. And I just, you know, and I like that because there's a, immediate interaction with the singer and uh there's no wall between us it's, it's really comfortable and so we're in headphones you know i'm not that's the only drawback is i'm not listening through the monitors i'm listening to headphones but that's cool uh it was one of those things we did a couple takes and i just turned all the, all of the lights off it was like this was back before i got my console too so i didn't even have that going so you're just singing in the dark yeah, we were barely, I mean, you could have, if I had stood up, I'd have probably tripped. And I borrowed uh, my friend's, uh, Jamie's mic in Portside Sound. It's in Studio B across the hall from where I'm at. Uh, they had a uh, R84 AEA ribbon mic, which I don't own, but I want two of them. Great mic. They're, they're amazing mics. But he's like, no pop filter, we're on this thing. And I think I ran it through a Daking mic pre- 
And I'm almost certain I used a cloud lifter. And if you're not familiar with that is it's it's a great tool to have especially for ribbon mites because you can put phantom power in. yeah yeah um gives you a little more headroom and it's cleaner sounding man he's on it and almost a whisper i could hardly i could hardly hear him i'm supposed to own a cloud lifter i, I bought one but it just seemed to disappear from the studio before i got a chance to use it oh wow <laughs> wow so but yeah it's i'm very proud of that vocal very, very proud of that. But I wanted to give a disclaimer. I did not mix that. I did That's not. All, right. we, all I recorded was the We vocal. ain't got time for no disclaimers around here. Yeah. Uh, but the, so the vocal sound um, is setting the vibe, getting the right kind of yes. text, picking that ribbon mic to get a, like an up close, kind yeah. of in your face, warm. It was very thing. emotional. Like that was, that was a time like when you make the engineer cry, it's like, I'm like sitting there just in awe of what just happened in that moment. Nice. And that's what we hope to do, right? As engineers and producers and musicians. And a record is a record of time. It's, yeah. you know, we're trying to capture moments. That's what I, that's what I hope to do. And I think I do well. I mean, you know, at least I hope is capture a moment. I mean, I, there's times where it's like, man, I really wish I had a U87 on this guy's voice, but I've got a 47. And I'm like, you know, I could take time and change the mic and technically audio, um, sonically, it might sound better, but I'm going to interrupt the moment. The moment's more important than the sonics. Yeah, that's good advice right there. Just remembering that because there's so yeah. many times you can, you have an opportunity to forget it all the time. It's, it's, it's times where we can, we can spend, I try really hard not to spend too much time getting sounds. I mean, it's fun and it all, it, it's all dependent on the project. But Eddie Martin's record, we cut at Kelvin Wooten's studio in Athens, Alabama. He's got a real nice setup in his basement. And this guy is one of the most talented producer, engineers, songwriters, musicians I've ever met. He's a force to be reckoned with. He's worked with Mary J. Blige and <laughs> go down the list. And that's him playing piano, by the way, on that song. But this record, we spent two days there and then we went down to around Birmingham, Alabama for Chris Fryer that plays drums for Zach Brown Band. He played percussion on all of it. And then it's got all these folks from Muscle Shoals um, playing on it. It's, it's too long of a list to to, to try and I'll, I'll leave somebody out. So, but I could have spent time trying to get, ah, oh, man, let's try this out. Let's try this mic. Let's do this. But I didn't. There was a few times I changed like drum mics, like one song in particular the overheads sounded too good. It was too clear mm. and it needed to have a little more grit. And I, I went for a mono ribbon overhead. Nice. And I think that's an important topic to, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is one of those things that, uh, you know, I think we all struggle with uh, probably continually, but certainly early on uh, because there's a tendency to want to be more hi-fi. Oh, I should be more oh, yeah, hi-fi until one day you're like, wait a minute, I I'm ruining this song absolutely. because of trying to be hi-fi yeah. and it actually needs to be something else. Yeah, that was a moment where I knew, I'm, I was just like, guys, can you give me five minutes to change this? this? The drum sound is wrong. Trust me on this one. And we ended up using like a $20 snare drum that just, if you just played it by itself, it sounds horrible. But in the song, it was just real tubby. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, that was my $20 snare drum sound, right? Yeah. There. Yeah. I'm going to sample the, the, the Lidge sample pack. Nice. Um, you know, but, another, but yeah. another artist you work with too, the invisible teardrops. Yeah. That one really leapt out at me too, because I'm like, Oh, this is cool. This is super bold. And, and, you know, kind of like really embracing a lo-fi cool thing. Yeah. And I, I accidentally did a cool thing. It's like, wow, this listening back to it. I'm like, this kind of sounds like the Ramones. I didn't mean to do that. But we recorded that. The lead singer, he's got several bands, and he's got an indie label. Um, and this record had to be done quick. Like, and this was when I before I went full time, which was a, in October of 2018. I quit my job at the plant. I'd been side hustling the studio for over ten years, and um, I had to be at work. So we would. I was working second shift, had to be at work at 3 p.m., but we would go to this guy's T-shirt uh, printing shop. The lead singer of the band owns a T-shirt printing shop in Florence, Alabama. And we spent two days back-to-back um, with me just taking a Focusrite interface over, and we didn't really use headphones. That's such a trip and, because it and, sounds so old-school analog tape, you know, like... Well, I brought... Uh, I think we did a few vocal overdubs and bass overdubs. So I did have headphones, but we didn't. It was this broken Farfisa organ. Like every, if you listen to it, it's like, again, it's one of those things that's wrong. And it's really not typically the style I normally work in. And um, it was like every time you hit a certain key, it would go, eh, eh. And I'm like, I actually stopped the recording, which I should not have done. And Jamie Barrier, the lead singer and guitar player, he said, whoa, what did you do? That was great. That was the take. And I was like, well, there's this really weird sound on the Farfisa organ. He's like, no, 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 that's fine. We love that. And it's like the tambourine players. There's two different tambourine players, a drummer, a Farfisa player, bass. All, all tracking live. And we overdubbed the bass, but we tracked vocals and... Guitar, yeah, we tracked all of that live. Double tambos. Some of the some of the vocals I ran, I, I had an SM7B that I was always using for vocals, but he also had a, a Sure 55, the Elvis looking mic, the silver looking one. Ran it through a twin reverb sometimes was the vocal, and I mic'd the amp. Oh, cool. That's and, why it sounds so cool. Yeah, too. it's it's weird. It's a really weird. Sounds like there was some slap echo going oh, on. Oh, yeah, we did too. all kinds of stuff. Well, that was plugins. That was, so that comes a little later, right? Yeah. Or did you actually need, feel like you needed to put that stuff on during the track in and hear it back? Well, I guess if there's no headphones, nobody's well, hearing Well, a lot it. of it was um, the room was just not a great sounding room, really, to be honest with you. And so I mic'd the drums with two mics. I put one up over, I mic'd the kick and put a blanket over it. And I put a mic over, I think it was just a... a and the mic choice was a Audix D2, I think, or D, yeah, it was a D2. Audix makes some cool mics. Yeah, for they kicks, do. Yeah. Uh, I love them on toms. And I put it over the, the rim of the kick drum facing the snare where the beater is. And I, I had to use that mic because it was the smallest one I had with me that would fit because the guy, like the drummer, he liked his, uh, ride symbol really, really low. And if I had anything else, it was going to hit it. So I couldn't use an SM57. The, the Audix is shorter. 
so it would fit. That was the reason for the mic choice. It wasn't because of how it sounded. So this was kind of the mono mic thing where, where it's above the kick drum <clears throat> pointed towards the snare? Or I don't no? even think I, yeah, I don't even think I had an overhead mic. Maybe I did. I don't know. But, but it was one of those deals where you better be in record because they wanted all of the mistakes. It's part of the sound of that thing. And that is hard. The lo-fi thing, that was really difficult because what I would consider a great take was not what they considered a great take. And I had to put on a different hat in terms of mixing because they didn't want the polished edits. And what that really drove home to me was the audience didn't want it either. It was almost as if, or maybe very much as if, that was anti what they were into. Yeah. Well, it's such There's a great an authenticity to it. It's a great lesson. It's one of those awesome things about spending time engineering and, and like you said, going into different genres. Yeah. Is it's a lot of fun to teach yourself how to make a record that's lo fi, that could care less about um, polished performances and isn't trying to delete all the mistakes, but let all the mistakes be right. a part of an expression and then go work on a record where it's the opposite and you have to learn how to do that. And it really expands your yeah. palette of understanding of all these different sounds. I mean, at a certain point, you can't be all things to everybody all the time. You know, you got to no. you got to sort of focus on some stuff, but it's really wonderful right. to expand your abilities in that well, way. Well, we had to do this really, really quickly and I had to crank the mix out fast. Um and to send it to mastering, it was going to be put on vinyl, and it had to be done, and it had to be on vinyl quickly. And we all know how, well, maybe we don't all know, but a lot of folks, vinyl doesn't just appear. <laughs> there's a lot of processes. And especially, I mean, there's sometimes months for you to get your vinyl pressed. And they, within a month or two, were doing a like a two or three week tour in Japan. And that was part of the deal. They had to have the vinyl to go to Japan. That was, and so it had to be done like very quickly. And it, it was one of those things that taught me a couple things to trust the audience of that artist and band, but also to trust the artist, which kind of leads back to Eddie Martin's record. He's a producer and a, a songwriter himself. He's written songs he, he wrote i can't remember the name of the song but brian mcknight back in the day and has been around nice so and he's a, he's a sweet great person but there's things that i wasn't really 100 percent sure where he was going with on this record i had to trust him and be at service to him you know it's kind of like i was talking to charles holloman the other day about a week ago at his studio and we were talking about, you know, this is the service industry. We, we, if you're an artist or if you're an engineer or a producer, you know, it's no different than mowing grass. You know, you don't, you wouldn't. It just sounds better. Yeah, right. <laughs> I produced grass. Depends on what kind of records you're making. Right. But it's like you wouldn't go paint their mailbox, you know. Oh, man, this rusty mailbox. It, man, they would be so happy if I painted their mailbox. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that was the mailbox from the old home place and they loved how it looked. It reminded them of childhood or yeah, something. And you got hired to mow the lawn. Not and I got hired to mow the lawn and I painted their mailbox and ruined childhood history. I learned that 
working as a guitar tech in a music shop, I, there was this really cheapo Squire Stratocaster. Looked horrible. It was dirty. And the plastic that's always on the pit guard was halfway off. And I took it off. All, I, all they wanted was to restring the guitar. And I was like, I'm going to go above and beyond. And I'm all about going above and beyond and uh, under-promising and over-delivering. And are over-promising and over-delivering, really, I guess I should say. But it was one of those things where I should have asked. Uh, and they were mad. Like, they were livid because they thought it was vintage or something right, right, right. about it. But it's yeah, like... interesting. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Want to record killer drums in your home studio? Rockstars of Drums will show you how to record, edit, and mix pro-sounding drums with a Nashville session drummer and a Grammy-winning studio. Want to start mastering your own records? Rockstars of Mastering walks you through exactly how I mastered my own record using nothing but plugins and pre-sona Studio One. Want to learn how to create a mix that doesn't suck but rocks instead? At Mix Master Bundle, I show you how to mix using stock and free plugins so that you can have punchy, powerful drums drums, guitars that rock, bass you can feel, and a mix that is in your face. Plus, it's totally free as my way of saying thanks for listening. Then go to MixMasterBundle.com to get started for free now and look for the clickable link in the show notes below. Well, so um, speaking of stuff learned from people, uh, before we close out here, I want to hit you up uh, about one more person that you've worked with who's also been a guest on the podcast that we love mm -hmm. having on. Craig Alvin has yeah. been a mentor for you. What were some things you remember learning from Craig? Man, <clears throat> that's a long list of things. I, first of all, I admire the guy. Uh, he pulled me in to help as an assistant I only worked on one song at East Avalon. They were Hanson uh, Umbop guys, right. right? And for those of you that haven't, may not have heard Hanson in recent years, do yourself a favor and go listen to them. They're incredible. That's one of his main clients. Uh, and for those of you that may not know who Craig Alvin is, well, he won a couple Grammys for Casey Musgrave's record that just swept every award. He's he's an incredible engineer. And he's a great guy. And just being around him, I don't really know how to put it in words. He's just got a personality about him that you can trust. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's one thing, not to jump, but that's one thing Dave Pensato told me when we started getting to know each other. He's like, you know, people don't like you because you're from Muscle Shoals. No one cares, really. They like you because they can trust you. And that meant a lot. Right. Um, and... He 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 has a thing about him putting people at ease in the studio. And he really sits back and lets the band and I've not had a lot of experience working with him. I've just been involved in this one thing. And uh, they cut most of it at Fame Studios, but I helped assist on one song. Uh, I was kind of part of a lot of the reason why they came to town because I kept poking him. I was like, dude, you got to bring these guys to Muscle Shoals. You got to bring them to Muscle nice. Shoals over probably a year and a half or two years. And finally they did. Um, but he just knows how to sit back. And, you know, sometimes things can get tense. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily fights. I don't want to 
you know, but like just, you know, we're artists. We're trying to achieve. And sometimes you can get frustrated and like, yeah. I'm not really getting that. You know, I can get a better take. He sits back and lets them kind of sort things out. Right. And um, <clears throat> I love how he he does this thing with acoustic guitars where he's not afraid to slam a compressor. And I'm like, that's just, that's so backwards to me. But he also, he does a thing I love on overheads where if I've got plenty of channels, he'll put like a RCA 77 or something like that up above the, in a mono and like 87s in stereo and he'll blend for right, overheads. Right, yeah. And. So you get, you get um, yeah. a mix and match of different kind of yeah. sonic views of the drums. But his, his thing for me, I mean, Hanson specifically and Casey Musgraves and a lot, he's working with a lot of great singers. I mean, he showed me some stuff on mixing where he's really adamant about, he loves plate reverbs, you know, and, uh, you know, this parallel compression thing where he'll, he'll roll off a significant amount of low end and a bass, but he'll run it through like a pull tech plugin and then use R comp mm -hmm. by waves and reconstruct it or and, something. And else. he kind of puts it, tucks it back in. And this one thing he showed me, I, I, was probably the most profound aha, duh moment is once you've got your mix done is pull up like just an EQ, something like RQ or EQ3 and Pro Tools. You know, it, it doesn't matter what it is, just something surgical. You're not trying to get a tone. You've already got your tone there. Is go back on the bass as your last plug-in and go like your low mids and there's usually like an M shape, like two or three dBs you'll want to, you'll sweep and find something that sounds a little nasty that's muddying up your mix and just kind of dip it out. And before, you know, we, we find ourselves doing that on the mix bus when mm -hmm. it's your bass that's doing it and you're mm -hmm. dipping the bass yeah. out instead of just going back to, the, he's going back to the source. Yeah, right. So I, point, I find yeah. that just and And don't duh. get caught up in it when you're trying to put this whole song and mix together. Yeah. Get as far as you can, and then go back and, and look for that one. Yeah, that absolutely. That That's cool. So, yeah. All right, dig it, man. Um, well, we're at the end, man. It's been awesome. Um, thank you for being on the show with us. Let me ask you one more question before we close out. Uh, it's hypothetical, but you're going to go back and take the Wayback Studio Machine, go back, find young Grant, who's probably getting ready to open a studio or hit the studio or learn how to do it. And you say, listen, I'm a, I come back to give you this one bit of advice, G. Here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the studio yourself one day. What advice would you go back and give yourself if you could? <sighs> probably two things. It's probably not just one thing. Um, and this is specific to myself. One, is back to favorite quotes, is uh, one of my favorite authors is John Acuff. Hustle is an act of focus, not frenzy. And I was nice. in a frenzy for a while and unfocused and saying yes to absolutely everything and not sleeping, being at every event. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to miss out, having FOMO, fear of missing out. And, uh, oh, this might be the next thing. This might be the, and it might be, you know, there's certainly, I will, you know, I've said for years, you might out talent me, but you're not going to outwork me. But I became a somewhat of a workaholic and I would, you know, easy to do. It's very easy to do, especially if you're passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. And especially if you're working a dead-end job, 
that's going nowhere and you know you're good at this one thing and you're trying to move the needle forward. Right. But also to believe in yourself, man. That's one of the reasons, like, I know it's, it's cheesy, but man, like that, that reading challenge, that did something for me. It's like, and I know it's a little uh, braggadocious, but okay, I never thought I would do that. I, I, there was a lot of self-growth in that, and there's so many resources. We, we, we have so much at our fingertips, podcasts, you know, and they can be anything you want them to be, education or just entertainment, whatever, YouTube, you know, there's Mix with the Masters. There's all these sites, Pure Mix. There's so much at our disposals for free, audiobooks. Um, you can learn so much and you can better yourself for free or cheap. And yeah. believe in yourself. Like, literally, that's probably the number one thing I would tell myself. I think that's a great tip and great advice. And in fact, Every time I think about what I'd go back and tell myself, that's it. Yeah. Because I don't think I believed in myself enough. I discounted my own interests in the face of all yeah. these other things around me. And um, Yeah, and that leads know. me to, man, I am so grateful for the people that have believed in me more than I believed in myself. Yeah. And it helped me gain some confidence. You know, quite honestly, starting this podcast was uh, a real... For me, a gesture of believing in myself yeah. is like same thing this, for this me. Is my idea. Same I'm going to do this thing, you know, and I'm not going to give up on it. I know we're trying to put a stop to this uh, episode here, and I keep talking, but it's all right. Jimmy Johnson told me one of the things that really, and he's a hero, you know. I mean, so and a legend in Muscle Shoals, and far beyond that. But he told me he's like, man, you're you're doing exactly what we were doing. You're just younger. Yeah. You're, you're, or you're, you know, time has just passed or something. I, I'm, I'm misquoting him, but it was something to that effect. And I'm like, wow, those words came out of his mouth, um, affirming that I'm doing what I need to be doing. And well, it's a little bit like something I learned from my brother once. Um, he, this was sort of in the topic of business and stuff like that. And he had been going to these big industry yeah. events and meeting people who had like very successful businesses. Yeah. And he came back and he's like, dude, he's like, they're just like you and me. They're just further along. That's yeah, all exactly. It is. And there's a lot That's you can really learn in outside industries that are not in music. There's, you know, people that do other types of things that, you know, you can draw from. But yeah, just believe in yourself. I mean, it's really that simple. Well, that's great, dude. Well, thank you for being on Recording thank Studio Rockstars so and reminding us to believe in ourselves. It's great, Grant. Um, let the Rockstars know how they can find you online. Where can they go learn learn more about you and your music? Well, I'm on the socials, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. My website's heretailstudios.com. Uh, now, how do you, it's H-E-A-R, -E yeah, right? Like, right. Yeah, old Southern phrase, like, here tell somebody said, yeah. H-E-A-R-T-E-L-L, -L, studios with an S, dot com. Um, like I said, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I'm pretty active on that. So it's easy to get a hold of me. My email is on my website. And yeah, just reach out. Uh, send me a message. Hit me up. I'd love to talk with people about Should people send you questions about Muscle Shoals and what it's all about, what you're doing? Down uh, there if they want to, I may not know the answers, but... But you know more answers than most of us. Um, and then uh, your podcast, where do they go find that? Um, 
Tape Noise Podcasts. It's on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. It, it's, Which episode do you want them to listen to first? Mm. Oh, that's a tough one. Go listen to David Hood's uh, yeah. episode one. Yeah. And, and there's three episodes of that. And that's a really, really good one. And, and maybe uh, Christine Ullman from Saturday Night Live. There's a little thing about uh, the first time Paul McCartney came on Saturday Night Live involving her dancing with uh, Chris Farley. <laughs> so nice. during, awesome. I think, Hey Jude or something like that. It was, it was a surreal moment sitting there hearing that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for being here on the podcast. Thank you. We'll uh, look forward to seeing you again. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming down to Muscle Shoals. Come on down, man. We'll come visit your studio and visit you too. And um, thanks for coming up and all the way up to Nashville. Thanks for making the two and a half hour drive this morning. I love it. What time do you have to get up and leave in order for us to be able to hang with you right now? Oh, I got up probably about six this morning. There you go. Rockstar's dedication. We'll see you around the studio, dude. Yeah. All right, man. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, then please share this episode with your friends on social media and leave a rating and review on iTunes to help the podcast reach more rock stars like yourself. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to rsrockstars.com review for an easy explanation. And remember to hit the subscribe button to keep up with weekly episodes. And if you're ready to make your best record ever now, then head over to Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can start with my free course at mixmasterbundle.com and if you want more free content from recording studio rockstars all you have to do is go to rsrockstars.com slash email again that's rsrockstars.com slash email to enter your name and email and i'll keep you in the loop with articles videos podcast updates and even free gear giveaways for your studio just look for the link in the show notes below thanks so much for listening and thanks for being a rockstar i'm lid shaw and this is recording studio rockstars now go make great music recording studio rock stars would like to give a big thank you to our amazing sponsors who helped make this episode possible owc whisper room spectra 1964 presona studio one jay-z microphones united plugins bringing you hyperspace royal compressor fire cobra and front daw and Audio Movers, helping stream high-quality audio directly from your studio. You will find links to all these wonderful sponsors in our show notes. These are all things I highly recommend for your studio. They're going to help you make your best record ever. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode.